Welcome back to the Mental Health Mukbang, where we try to make mental health easily digestible. My name is Jed. I am a therapist based out of LA. Today, I've got Korean fried chicken. Oh, not Korean fried chicken. Korean spicy chicken that I made myself this morning earlier. And um, also some braised pork from Tenren and uh, lychee green tea. So it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good Yum. day. Wow. My name is Jenny Wang. I'm a clinical psychologist from Houston, Texas, and I have, oh my gosh, I can't even show you all. Oh my. It's the vermicelli noodle bowl with grilled chicken. Nice. You guys went, you guys went um, all out. Fancy. Yeah, I'm Jeannie <laughs> Chang from the East Coast, Raleigh, North Carolina, an LMFT here. And I just have a simple leftover kale salad. Because everybody's always healthy, like, you know, Jenny's always healthy, Chris is always healthy. So I decided to be healthy today. I feel like so, I'm the one that's usually unhealthy. Yeah, because you had McDonald's once. I agree. So, <laughs> that's okay. That's all good. Um, I was going to say, Chris is not here, if you haven't noticed. But I just wanted to share the story, why he's not here. So he locked himself out of the Airbnb that he's standing staying at. Isn't that right? And I guess he's not used to a traditional key where you put the, the key in the keyhole and then turn it, which I agree because I was trying to think, I don't really use those anymore either because we either have like, you know, the pin pads in the garage or you go through your garage door, whatever. But apparently he said he even looked at the key as he was leaving the house, like stared at it, but it didn't, he didn't quite connect the dots and left. And now they're locked out of the house. Yeah. So he nice. couldn't join us. So basically, he can't be here because he's got to go back to get the key from the place, and he's kind of stuck. Um, yeah. So, so, oh, wait, wait, hold on. You mean he was leaving? Is it, wasn't he? I thought he was coming. I thought he was leaving the place. Like, they were, uh, like. He was leaving his Airbnb, and he left. Oh, I was wondering why it would take that. Oh, I just got that. Sorry. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that he was going to record at the Airbnb. He was like, they, like, they had finished their stay at the Airbnb. And, the, and okay. then they were leaving oh, and they, they really? left and they realized that they had left the key. But I wouldn't, why would you have to go back? Couldn't they? Oh, I guess it would be paying for the owner. And yeah, got it. Well, cool. Know. We are um, talking about, so sorry, Chris, because he's probably going through his own anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, yeah, definitely. we are talking, we are continuing our series part, I guess, second episode on anxiety. Last week, talk, we talked about what it is, what it looks like. And today will be about, Anxiety surrounding school. It could look like a lot of things this year. Online school, parents and kids in online school, and then kids dealing with uh, our college students also as well. Anybody in school, basically. What's that look like? What's your, that's a lot to talk about. I mean, 2020 to 2021 school year will look like this pretty much. I feel like it's so hard for us to really try to read into that because we're not in the school anymore and we have no idea what this transition looks like for a lot of people, right? Mm, Jenny, I can talk from you of parents. Yeah, so why don't we start there? Why don't you as a parent tell us what it's been like to try to go back to school and what, how anxiety has been playing a role in that? So I've been, I was eating as I was talking, which means anxiety spiked as I was going like this. <laughs> I noticed it myself as I was like, let's talk about school. <laughs> yeah, I'll have Jenny start. What's it been like for you? 
really, really hard. And I think even stepping back from that, it's the entire shift of expectation, right? So this fall was supposed to be the year where both of my kids are in full-time school at the same time, same drop-off, same pickup. This was the year that I was going to be like free in the sense of like being able to do work and all the things I needed to do. And and so even that shift, right, that kind of like letdown of like, man, I had, I was envisioning all this time to do the things I needed to do that has shifted. In terms of anxiety, I think leading up to that first week was really hard because spring semester where we converted to virtual was a hot mess. Though the school tried their best and did what they could to pivot, there, it was very like chaotic. And so the thought of having to go back to that was anxiety provoking. Um, and, and then also managing our kids. My kids don't have anxiety about school, but they're upset that they're not going to school. Mm-hmm. And our district, a lot of the kids now are in person, but we've chosen to keep our kids at home. And so there's managing their frustration, which then causes me to feel dysregulated at times. Um, and so it's been very, very hard. Luckily, my kids, so my son is four, and so it's kind of low stakes because he's not in kindergarten yet, whereas my daughter is in second grade. And so she's pretty self-sufficient by now after maybe four or five weeks of a virtual school. But you still feel like there's a disconnect mm. um, between really knowing what the expectations of the teachers are and then if your kid is doing what they need to be doing. Right. And so there's anxiety that like things are falling through the cracks and we don't realize it, um, that she's not completing assignments when she needs to and things like that. Um, So it's been hard. It's been really, really hard. Well, thanks for your um, bluntness. I would agree. I mean, yeah, first of all, poor you. I relate as a mom that you would have had some freedom this year. Yeah. But next year, let's hope. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're all hoping for next year, right? Yeah, I hope so. But my perspective is similar, except my kids are older. So obviously, they're more self sufficient, the ones that are at home. So it hasn't, so them being at home has not affected me too much, except there is no sports. So mm-hmm. in the evenings, they're a little more bored. They used to do, right? Soccer. My son's on the soccer team in high school. My eighth grader um, would at least have activities like tennis or whatever. And we've, we've stopped all that. Uh, so I, I sense a little bit more like, annoyance in all of us in the evening when I'm like, what are you doing? Why, why are you still on Fortnite? That's the <laughs> And they're like, what else is there to do? As long as they're done their homework, I guess I'm like, you know, that's true. But I'm like, go outside. And well, what are you going to do? Like kick a ball by yourself. So it is. Yeah. So that's been more frustrating, but then, you know, where I, my anxiety really has uh, spiked as I, as I eat with a mouthful, showing you how anxious I am. Uh, two kids in college. Every day, I try to practice what I preach by doing some deep breathing and meditation when I see uh, the college updates, because colleges are so good at keeping parents um, in the loop with the app that we did download. But you don't want to see the um, the spike in cases, and then you see the dorms that are quarantined. And then you just... So I do my best to stay out of some of the um, parent communication because I know like trying to be, you know, understanding myself and my 
anxiety and trying to um, manage that as I do my work, I, I try not to engage. But you see, you know how you see Facebook updates? Oh, did you see the latest, you know, people quarantine? Oh, is your first? And then I'm just like, okay, I'm, you know, so it's not, I have a freshman. Feels, I do feel sad. And I, since I talk about grief, I will say I'm grieving his normal college mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't know what he's missing. So that's the comfort. So if we're talking about anxiety, what I try to do for myself is that I'm looking at, you know, you're looking at um, like what helps you and, and how are you getting through it, right? And, and But acknowledging that you're stressed about it. I think what mm -hmm. has helped me to manage it pretty well is that my son isn't complaining. Like he doesn't send me, in fact, I don't even hear from him. But when we text him, we're like, how's it going? He's like, good. I just practiced tennis because he did make the tennis club, club tennis team at his school. And, and I don't detect any anxiety. He knows clearly what's going on because he even told us, yeah, a good friend of mine or the friend that I got to know in one of my classes is in the dorm that's being quarantined. He just said it matter of factly. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, gotcha. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm focused on that. So I think a lot of anxiety, like I said, it's contagious. So if he's good, then he's helped me to calm down and I got to do the same thing. So I'm very cautious about how I text him now. I won't say, are you wearing masks? Are you hand sanitizer? I did that the first week. Are you, are you mm. washing your hands? Are you taking a shower? <laughs> um, but that's helping me manage my anxiety, the control, right? Understanding what I can control. Mm -hmm. Give you guys a tip there and what you cannot control. So I'm focusing on what I can control. There's a lot. I always tell people, there's a lot you can control, but we look at the things we can't. Which yeah, right. So obviously, like one of the one of the first things that we learn, um, well, maybe not one of the first things that we learn, but like in our intro to psych classes way back in undergrad or or however far back it was, we learn about <laughs> this idea of the locus of control, right? Where we where where we have this um, where we put our focus, where we feel like we have um control right where we center that is very important to our perception of stress and anxiety right because a lot of things right we in so there are certain areas where we internalize them right we believe that we have that locus of control we are where the control lies and there are certain things where we externalize them we give them up and we say that that is outside of our control so generally when we talk about relieving some of that stress right we put it outside of our locus of control so that we don't feel that immediate stress. Um, but then there is also the things that we realize that we can control. And when we do take control of those, we can actually manage some of the anxiety that we're feeling because we feel like things are out of our control, right? So this whole managing anxiety thing is like this, this balance of um, figuring, out what we, figuring out what we should put in which area of control. So in specifically right now, right, in this time of COVID, in this time of school, like as people are going back to school, right, which is one of the reasons why we're talking about anxiety in school, because a lot of people are starting classes again, a lot of people are going to their dorms, a lot of people are, there's a lot of stuff going on. And there's so many things that, honestly, I feel like this episode could go on for at least like an hour and a half, just talking about the things that we struggle with when it comes to anxiety in school, because right now, if we, if we want to break it down, like just each individual thing from being like moving in to whether it's moving in, whether it's like classes, learning new, learning how to use online, 
um, figuring out how to motivate yourself, like in specific times, feeling anxious because you can't motivate yourself and there's nobody holding you accountable as a result of not having to be in class. Um, all those kinds of things, like they come together and they form this combined, like, I want to call it a rain cloud of anxiety, just ready to just like dump on you. There's this huge, like rain cloud of anxiety, just ready to just pour down on us. And I think part of what I would like to do with this episode is try to take, take that apart or at least give us an umbrella so that it's not going to be quite so bad. Um, so like you've said before, right? Parents, parents are dealing with a specific type of anxiety coming into, um, this time of COVID and coming into this time of schooling. Um, and how can we deal with that as well? Right. Cause I mean, I don't know what our demographics look like for our, um, for our podcast, like who's actually listening, but I'm going to assume based on some of the comments that we've gotten that there are some people who are parents who are listening too. And so as a result of that, like, how can we um, speak into everyone's lives, right? And so right now, let's, uh, I want to take that segue, that long segue that I just did into talking about specifically that, that locus of control, right? Figuring out what we can control and figuring out what we can't control, right? Mm. So I want to use like a quick uh, example, like a really short, like a really quick example to kind of get us started, right? So let's talk about COVID, right? Let's talk about um, the anxiety around getting COVID. Like you were, like Jeannie was talking about earlier, like washing your hands, wearing your mask, all that kind of stuff, right? Those are things that are within our locus of control, right? We can wash our hands. We can make sure that we put on hand sanitizer. We can make sure that we wear our own mask, right? Mm -hmm. But we mm -hmm. cannot control the rest of the world. And I think a lot of people are having a difficult time kind of finding the balance between that, right? Because part of it is, no matter what you do as an individual, if, if we don't together act as a society to mitigate some of that risk, it's not going to go away. And some people are feeling anxious as a result of that. And so that's one of those things that you have to externalize, right? You have to come to the acceptance that this is beyond our control. And that will help us. That's the first step to externalizing and not internalizing that anxiety for ourselves. And then what we do take into our own responsibility is knowing that we're playing a part in reducing that risk, if not just for ourselves, for the people that are around us, right? And so that's, a, that's what I'm going to say is a good starting point in managing some of that anxiety. So going off of that, what are some of the other things that you guys can think of that you might be able to perceive as this is going to be anxiety inducing for either parents or children, or people who are in school, and what can we do to help manage some of that? That was a good one, Chris. Or uh, um, Jed, sorry, <laughs> I'm missing Chris. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip there. Let me just let me just bring a picture Chris, of Chris. See, I let me just put his Chris, face here. Chris, I called Jed. <laughs> um, sorry. No, that was great. No, locus of control. Uh, control is synonymous with anxiety in some sense, right? The le the more anxious you feel, the more you want to control, and then it gets you more anxious. So it's like that uh, vicious cycle. My thing with to, to answer that question would be, uh, I lost my train of thought because I missed Chris. No, I'm kidding. I was, I was gonna, <laughs> um, I think the main thing that I say is that people don't like the feeling of anxiety. I, 
so I'm just going to address the part there. Sometimes we have to be willing to tolerate that uncomfortable, uncomfortable feeling. And that's, that's an example of me where I'll be honest, I have that uncomfortable feeling all day. I think I'm also adjusting with one kid, uh, the second kid going to college. So, uh, only two kids in the house, but I meant it's, it's also uncomfortable. This is COVID. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. He could be feeling sick and not telling us. So I decided not to do that and be just, just kind of accept, accept is a good word with anxiety, accept that I'm feeling this way and it feels uncomfortable. So I too tell a lot of people, you're not, anxiety doesn't feel good. So of course you're trying to do everything to get rid of it. But I think I talked about this last week. If you're, if you consistently resist it, it will consistently persist. So knowing that, and it takes a lot of work to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, my heart is thumping, but that's also, you know, accepting where you're at and going, okay, my heart's thumping, but let me distract myself. Let me focus on, um, you know, reading this great fun graphic right here that uh, that's on Jenny's Instagram. It's not really up here, but I'm just saying, plugging Jenny. But you know, like, oh my gosh, let me do this because anything to help. Uh, and I use the word distract. It's not avoid. I say distract. It's okay to distract yourself, helping you through things that um, that are making you anxious. So yeah, be willing to feel uncomfortable. I know you guys are like, what? But that's that's really what it's like. Yeah, we don't want to feel that way. So we do everything not to feel. And that's not good. Yeah, I would say that for the anxiety piece, one of the things that I do myself, but also encourage my clients to do is to, you know, so much of anxiety is future oriented, right? So what could happen? What if that happened? Right. How long is this going to go on for? Can I withstand that? Can I cope with it? And it's this like out of the present moment experience. And so if we can counter that, right, by saying, I'm just going to do what I can for today, right? What can I actual tangible steps can I do today? Um, be it what are my tasks for the day that I can be engaged in and excited about? Because the reality is our brains are not wired to be in a task and then worrying about the future. It doesn't work that way, right? And so if I can just focus on what is going on for me today, right, and focus on that, um, that task, I find that I'm much less living in the anxiety-driven world, right, where I'm always worrying about the future. And so I teach my clients mindfulness techniques and, you know, self-regulation techniques but on top of that, right there, it is like, I think one of the most powerful things you can do that helps in a lot of areas of mental health is, can you control the focus of your attention, right? Like if you can control the focus of your attention and what you dwell on in your thoughts and your experiences, and you, ha you have a lot of power, right? So I'm choosing not to focus on the fact that I have no idea when my kids can go back to school. I'm choosing not to focus on that. Instead, right, I'm focusing on the fact that when I walk out of here and when we're done recording, my kids are home and <laughs> they'll be ready to tackle me and to snuggle. And I, I want that, right? And that's been a mixed kind of blessing of all this, right? So notice how what you choose to focus your attention on can really impact how much that anxiety can kind of like sink its teeth into you. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why we focus so much on grounding, right? 
when we're talking mm-hmm. about anxiety is practicing that locus, like practicing that attention, focusing, practicing the fact that we need to bring our attention to what's going on right now, as opposed to letting our minds just wander around wherever, because the more that we dwell on the things that are bothering us, the more they're going to bother us. And so, like, like Jeannie has said, right, it's important to, obviously, step one is acknowledge, right? You need to figure out what it is that's making you anxious so that you can either, one, deal with it immediately, or two, distract yourself from it, right? Because this whole COVID thing is not going to go away. Um, so you can't really do anything about it. So what do we do? We focus on what we can do. We focus on what's ahead of us, like in our present space to stay mindfully grounded in what we're dealing with right now. Right. And whether that looks like your homework, whether that looks like it could be the dishes that are just sitting there that need to get done. Right. That is one very specific item that you can direct your attention to. And in that moment, as you're doing it, like it's really hard to think about anything else. Right. Um, And so it is just practicing that over and over again. And but it does start with acknowledging what it is that's bothering you. I think that's that's a really important thing to bring up. Right. Because a lot of times anxiety is this this uh I think we talked about it last week, right? It's just this like this this big feeling that's just there. You know something is wrong, but you can't but you don't always pinpoint it. And I think pinpointing it is a very important thing so that we can know exactly what it is that's bothering us. Like I like I was just saying, like so we can deal with it or we can not avoid it, just know what it is, but do something to hold your attention. Pull your attention away from that thing that's making you that anxious. So that specifically right now in this context being COVID, right? But thinking outside of COVID, in the in the in in the it COVID just feels like this unavoidable monster right now, right? But thinking outside of that for a quick second, right? Let's try to isolate school. Right. What are some anxieties that we could deal with? Like, what, what might be some examples of anxieties that we would have to deal with that we could employ some of these acknowledging and because we can't always just acknowledge things and then distract ourselves because schoolwork is one of those things. Right. You have to deal with it. So maybe we can explore that really quickly. That's a good question. Yeah, I, I'll definitely grounding what the only thing you can control is the present. Right. What's going on here and now. So I tell people um, for school, one thing at a time, Uh, like our our productivity and being Asian, multitasking is um, seen as good, but that is also a way of uh, maybe over-functioning when you're super stressed, doing more to get distracted, right? And I say distract, but when I say distract, it's like knowing that you're anxious and kind of getting you through the moment. So not overall, but when you have to do schoolwork, then I'm saying focus on your schoolwork and delve literally saying, hey, the next two hours, I'm just going to do schoolwork. And because I actually tell a lot of people, um, because, you know, you work with teens and college kids, don't go on your screens. I I understand that. They're like, when I am on my screen, do work. I go, that's what I mean. Do your work, but empty, like blank out all the other stuff, like, you know. Twitter or Twitch or whatever we're on, you know, and Instagram and everything like that. Just give yourself like two hours. I even say, give us a time limit, two hours, the next two hours, I'm just going to really get through 
the coursework that I need to get done. If I don't get finished, that's okay. After two hours, I can take a break. But something simple, I give them, you know, those smart goals. I say, do smart, measurable goals, Hmm. especially to go step-by-step in managing anxiety and school, your schoolwork does come first. So I actually say, also, this is not a mom thing, just helping students. You're a student, so why don't you put that, make that a priority? So make schoolwork a priority because I know it'll stress you out more when you don't get that good grade, if that's what you want, right? And so, mm-hmm. and that's a small thing. I'm like, hey, you know, let's just focus on it's, I know it's Google, we're using Google Meet in our school system. So I know it's Google Meet and you see all these chats. Then I tell the kids, even my young middle schooler, turn off the chat. You know, you can close the chat box, right? And he's like, I don't know how to do that. I go, I will show you. <laughs> because even the teachers are like, unless we tell you go to the chat box, they're like, just pay attention in class. So I'm just, what I would say is when I say distract to get through the moment, but you can eliminate some distractions that'll turn your attention. You know, that whole squirrel. I, I What's that movie? What movie was that in? Anyway. Secret Life of Pets. Yes. I, I'm like that. I'm like, squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> so I have to, so my motto is to really manage the anxiety is one thing at a time that mm-hmm. I feel like I need to finish. And multitasking is, I will tell you, not good for the brain. So I know that's a word, but it doesn't, it does not help you. It, it, it actually can aggravate your anxiety. So one thing at a time. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say that for myself. Sometimes what, I need things that. At once? Yeah. What'd like doing multiple things at once actually helps me. But I would say that for, for the majority of people, it is better to focus on one thing at a time because no, I will you say know, that you, you and Chris are the under anxiety people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could <laughs> analyze you guys. No, I'm kidding. We should, we should have like a case study about us because we're like anomalies. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. No, they really, what helps you is, is important, yeah, right? right? What is helping mm-hmm. you? Managing it, I think it's a pro- process of figuring out what works for you. Right. But I like what you said about prioritizing, right? And setting specific time to do certain tasks. I think that really helps a lot. Um, That's something that I've seen with a lot of people, right? If you have a difficult time focusing, right? Maybe set a timer for a shorter period of time to just focus on one task. At least you know, like there are a lot of productivity. I think the reason why a lot of productivity things out there encourage that is because it works. For the majority of people, it works. You set aside X amount of time, you get rid of all your distractions, my friend on his MacBook had like a thing where it literally just cuts the internet for everything else, except for what he's using it for, for like 30, 30 minutes. And you can't do anything about it. Like, that's it. Um, oh, interesting. And so it, it might be that, right? Turning off the distractions so that you don't have to have all this excess stimulus so that you can prioritize and get things done, right? It helps you to not, I guess... The equivalent, I guess, is turning off notifications on your phone. Um, for people who, oh, here's 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 a really good example, right? People who get a lot of social anxiety or miss feel like they're missing out as a result of whatever it is that they're doing, right? Especially nowadays, since a lot of people are um, online, right? It's really easy to feel like you missed out on something. Your friends are playing games, whatever. 
you need to get something done. If you're like, you know, I get a notification, oh, my friends are playing this game, oh, I should just go and join them or whatever, or my friends are doing whatever, and like, oh, like, that looks fun, like, let me go and do whatever, let me hop on this call or something, something else, right? Whatever it is that is distracting you, right? The equivalent is just turning those things off so that you don't know. And maybe afterwards you feel, you feel maybe something, but it's much easier to deal with the the current whatever it is that should be holding your focus because obviously during that time you are kind of distracting yourself but it's really about focusing on what you really what is causing you the most anxiety because like we said earlier it's not avoidance because i will for me acknowledge that when i don't want to do something i will find every reason to not do it right that laundry that's been sitting there that i feel like i need to do yeah that's that's more important than this thing that i actually need to do right now um and it really comes with that mindful acknowledging mindful acknowledgement that that is what my priority should be so that i can avoid the long-term anxiety that comes from five hours later i'm like oh i did all these things but my assignment's due in an hour now what right so that prioritization helps you to really be more aware of what is causing the anxiety and then dealing with that immediately so that or what in whatever process works best for you right focusing and then getting it done so that it's no longer causing you to feel anxious jenny um i think i, I totally agree with what all of y'all are have said i think an important piece is being able to understand what is actually important right and so i think we spend a lot of our lives in the like urgent but not important category right mm. things that like capture our attention or it seems urgent because our we live in a world where text and email and all those things needed need to be answered immediately um and those are time sinks right they're not getting anything off your task list done so i think right what y'all say in terms of turning off those notifications and distractions become key but I think that people, with people who have anxiety, they're living, so I'm talking about this like quadrant, four quadrants, important, not important, or less important, urgent, not urgent, right? And so if you think about it that way, right, people who have anxiety often are living as if everything on their list is urgent and important. So no wonder they feel, right, like they cannot rise to the occasion because they feel like there are 6,000 fires that they need to address at all the same time. But urgent, right, means your water heater has exploded over your kitchen and water is pouring into your kitchen. That is urgent. But that report that you need to write, that's not urgent, but it's important. So understanding the distinctions on your priority list and having a way to categorize it in actual importance and urgency becomes really important. And if you have anxiety, you tend to live in the world where everything's urgent, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So like really that. being able to tease that out is I think really helpful. And then with people with anxiety too, is sometimes they can be perfectionistic, <laughs> right? And so then they feel like if I'm gonna start this task, it has to be perfect. And it keeps them from starting the task because, oh, I only have an hour to work on the intro for my report. Well, I can't do a good job in an hour, so I'm not even gonna start. And then the next day, oh, 
I don't have enough time to do it, right? So I'm not even going to start. And then it's the day before the report is due and they're like, now the fire's lit. They write the whole paper in that time. Okay, that is not sustainable. I know for some people it is, but for most people, right? It doesn't work that way. And so I always say, start with the first achievable step, right? Break down that paper and just write the first paragraph, right? Write the introduction. And you will find that lowering the threshold for starting gets you started. Because if you have to write that paper today, you're not going to write the paper. You're not even going to sit down and type, right? First night, no. <laughs> and sometimes I'll even tell people like, just sit down and start typing. My name is Jenny Wang. I need to write a report about blah, 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 blah. And then you'll realize as you've started, then the ideas start coming. Even if you're writing incomplete sentences, you're just writing phrases and ideas, right? Notice how the threshold for starting is much easier of an entry point than a finished product expectation after sitting down for you know, a couple of hours. So make it achievable and figure out what's actually urgent. Those are my thoughts. That's that's really good. I like that. I'm making mental notes. I really like I really like the quadrants. In my head, I was like, maybe we should draw like if only we could put up like a drawing right now and just do it and then show people, right? But yeah, it's really I, funny I because I actually totally forgot about using that. Um, no, that's me... a great one. I, I yeah, that's a great reminder. I love that. And I was gonna add. Um, I think this is really important. Is the power? I don't know. if Chris talked about it last week. I feel like he might have, but the power of Deep breathing, breathing. Um, mm -hmm. I always bring it up because watch your breathing when you're stressed. I guarantee mm -hmm. I make a mental, this is where I'm grounding myself going, oh my gosh, as I wrote this email, I held my breath in for 30 seconds. I mean, obviously you're still breathing, but it's like not effective breathing. And because I work with a lot of students who deal with tests or be, and, and let me tell you, being on a camera, it seems simple. There, it's very different when you're on a camera than being in person because all of a sudden it's just, it's a different, it's a different thing. Even right before we record, we're like, oh, you know, a different sense of anxiety. So I know some of the students are experiencing that, the Gen Zs, um, don't underestimate what they're all, the stress they're also experiencing just because they live in the digital age. They're, this is extremely difficult for them. So sometimes before they go on a Zoom call, I'll say, hey, let's do some, let's, let's do your breathing exercises. And, you know, you get a lot of poo-poo, like, really? No, you know, Jeannie, is that a skill? I'm like, listen, from a person who legitimately thought deep breathing was stupid, no, I'm saying that on air, years ago where I just thought, what? what is that? I vouch for it because I saw the power in it when I do it, because I always ask people, why is deep breathing important? And people will say things like, oh, it helps relaxes you, definitely relaxes your muscles, it helps you focus. But I would say the core of it is it brings oxygen back to the brain. And if you don't have oxygen flowing effectively, your brain just stops thinking. And then you get the deer in the headlights, you know, like, I can't do anything. You know, the, the freeze complex. <gasps> oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. So I can't, I can't do anything, right? Or you're overfunctioning, right? So I talked about that last week. But yeah, so I actually really say this is a, there's so many deep breathing. So I don't really, have to, I feel like there's so many great deep breathing things, but really, really understand it's about, 
inhaling well, and it's not like, which I see a lot of kids do. I'm like, no, 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 no. Inhale from the gut, really bring it up and puff out your chest and then feel it because you probably don't inhale and then really exhale it out. And there's a difference. It'll, like I said, the anxiety, of course, may still be there, but they'll say, oh, oh yeah, you know what? I don't have to do this now. Or let me think about this. Um, this email is not that bad. Or this B plus is not that bad. You know, thought basically it helps you think more clearly. So I am a big advocate of that because I do practice that and I do find that it works. It works really well when you're driving. Mm-hmm. But of course, it helps you, right? It helps you think. I'll keep that in mind next time I function. drive through LA traffic. Like, no, it really, yeah, try it. <laughs> you find yourself getting frustrated, but I bet you you're holding your breath. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, this tra- I do. I, I hold my breath a lot when I'm stressed. So, but also that brings, that brings a lot of tension to like your body, right? Mm-hmm. Your body, in mm-hmm. order to deal with a lot of the stress, tenses up because your body is literally preparing for that fight or flight response when you're stressed out, yeah. right? Your body is getting ready to make a decision as to whether or not I run or whether or not I fight and or freeze, right? You freeze because it's just so overwhelming, right? Because there's <laughs> no no option. And so that's what happens. You tense up. You're just kind of like, um, that was just, that was a really weird imagery right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I screenshot that image of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah, it's you... You, it is really about the whole deep breathing thing, right? Like, I also will admit that as at a certain point in my life, I was just like, "This is so dumb. Like, why?" But <laughs> it 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 is like one of those things that brings uh, brings you back into the moment, essentially, right? That's why we incorporate it in so many of the activities that we do as therapists. Why is breathing important? Because it is a vital function that we do that we often don't think about, and it's the core awareness that we have in order to continue to survive. Um, and it is really important for us to, um, our brains that. need it. Yeah. Your brain needs it. And it's a good way to like reorient yourself. Um, and so that being said, going back to, going back to what, um, that was, that was a little weird, weird tangent. Anyway, um, going back to what Jenny was saying, right. Um, I wanted to touch on that again, right? Like the four quadrants that she was talking about for those of you who are unfamiliar, right. For, um, one of the ways that we can approach, um, understand, like prioritizing things is by u- using these four quadrants. Essentially, it's a, it's a, it's like you imagine like that graph paper that you used in elementary school, dividing it up. And there's like a, it's like a graph, like you have a plus sign on one axis is how important is it on the you other use axis. You graph paper in elementary school? Just saying. I was, what? I think I did. Yeah, like fifth grade, we were working on like no, I, just, I just remember high school, graphing but yeah. things. Um, but yeah, basically, there's like one axis is like important and the other axis is urgent, right? And where you put things on those four quadrants is um, going to determine, uh, it's going to really help you figure out how to prioritize things. Using that, using that as a tool to help you to recognize what to prioritize is actually part of how we manage anxiety. It's part of, because in our brains, we're categorizing things already, right? Regardless of whether we're aware of it or not, our brains are organizing the tasks that we need to complete or the things that we think that are, we need to do. It, our brain is organizing them and prioritizing them, but we're not always aware of it. And so part of 
the whole prioritizing thing comes down to breaking those things down into those smaller manageable steps like we were talking like we've been talking about smart goals all day right but it's it's figuring out like importance and urgency and figuring out where on the where on the graph it falls and then going in order by breaking those things down creating a list and then and then breaking it down step by step and then say you have like like Jenny was talking about writing a paper or was it one of you was talking about writing a paper, right? Jenny was talking about it. You write the first paragraph, literally just the first paragraph. And then if you get distracted, you can go do something else, right? But you start it. And so when you come back down to it, it's like, here's a list. Let me break it down again. And we can go and break down these huge things. Like say you have a, like a, like a research methodology class that you're in assuming that you're in college already, right? You have a research methodology class. The final the final thing that you have to turn in at the end of the quarter is this huge 20-page research paper on a thing that you did already, right? And you're just like, this is so freaking big that I don't want to do it. I'm just going to avoid it. I'm going to pretend it's not there and just whatever, right? <laughs> but this big looming this big looming project, this big looming deadline right, can be broken down into very manageable, measurable, tangible tasks, right? And if, if I think part of what we do as therapists, right, is help people to figure those things out for themselves. This is, they are, or people, us included, sometimes, we can get so overwhelmed by the things that we're doing that we can't see how we can break these things down because they're so, um, I can't find the word right now, but it takes us overwhelming. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's so <laughs> overwhelming for us that we don't know what to do with it. And so we freeze and we just don't deal with it. And so using this as a tool to break it down for yourself or even just talking it out with somebody like it doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be anybody just talking it out with somebody who has a different perspective to help bring you back down from that feeling of overwhelmness, overwhelming over being overwhelmed. Bringing you back down from that is a good place to start so that you can start thinking straight again and have that separate perspective. It's like, hey, you're like, you know, this might be a good way to like deal with this or whatever. It's like, oh, like that doesn't sound as important as something else. And you're just like, oh, you're right. It doesn't. And then suddenly you have this ability to you regain your ability to take control and prioritize and break things down. Yeah, and I like how, Jed, you mentioned like this idea of talking to other people, mm -hmm. right? Because then anxiety is so like, I'm just going to live in my head, right? And that's all exposure I have. And that kind of becomes your reality. Like you think all these things that freak you out or make you anxious are actually, right, as big as they are in your head. And so seeing a therapist, talking to friends, right? Social support alone is enough to reduce stress levels right? Being in connection with other people who are stable, stabilizing forces, regulating forces. Don't go hang out with your friend who's totally anxious and more than you are. Go find the friends, right? Who are, who are generally, right? Pretty even keeled, pretty chill. They can offer you that emotional connection and support as well as perspective taking. Because with anxiety, it narrows your focus into these really specific, right, things that trigger your anxiety. And when you are able to engage with other people, it opens up your view again and says, Ooh, okay, 
this paper is overwhelming, but in the grand scheme of my 85 years of my life, what does that really matter, right? <laughs> nobody's gonna ask me about the paper I wrote in research methods. At least never, nobody's ever asked me that, right? So perspective like taking. <laughs> yeah, that's no perspective taking. I love that. I, I was actually going to expand on exactly what Chris said. I think that's a great way Jed. to bookend. Jed, gosh, I'm sorry, Jed. I'm I kind of miss you. No, I don't really miss him. It's it's just, that's just weird. Um, so no, what Jed said was super awesome because uh, especially students, having peer support, you're right. I do, like I said, anxiety is contagious. So it's be a little wary about who you're going to be conversing with when you're also on the high end of anxiety than someone else who will also escalate that. But I, there's empathy there. I know that's, under, knowing that someone else understands or even goes, yeah, um, I struggle with the paper, but again, they're not in a heightened sense of anxiety. It does make you feel better. Even sharing it. Going, you know what's stressing me out? This paper, this research paper. Yeah, me too. Or, oh, you know what? Yeah, I did one last week. It was so stressful. I mean, you see that among students and peers. And again, it's just validating. So it's not like they're giving each other any skills or uh, advice, but not feeling alone is so important for mm -hmm. our mental health, right? Mm -hmm. Especially now. So I actually, the one tip I have with students is say, hey, I know you guys are young and you guys are already talking, but why not schedule um, anxiety uh, relief time with friends? So it's not like you're going to go, let's talk about, let's, we're going to talk about, anxiety. no, I said, you have to schedule it. You're, mm -hmm. I, that sounds funny, but I go have, aren't you meeting for coffee normally? You can't meet for coffee, generally speaking. Why don't you meet for coffee on Zoom? Uh, and a lot of peer groups are also studying together, including yeah. my high school kid. I noticed that because I heard him talk and I'm like, why is he talking so much for that past 30 minutes? And I like checked on him and he was like in a peer study group with friends. And I thought again, and I heard him say, did you get this answer? I thought that was cool that hmm. they, again, it's about connecting and not hmm. feeling alone, um, which also helps with you with your stress. So yeah, that, that alone is super, super important. So I just say schedule it. Like we got to make time. It's being proactive. I always say, don't be reactive, be proactive, right? Mm-hmm. So anyways, we have more to talk about, right? So sh I guess we could wrap up this school anxiety episode. Uh, I guess we Chris so really much, isn't going to join us. We have so much more that we can say I, about school For school anxiety. or just in general? In, for school. Like, we haven't okay, even talked... so I, I was going to try to make it another episode. We can. Yeah, we'll just... We'll just yeah, okay. We're just going to do part one. And then we can do part two of school anxiety. In five minutes. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Be right back for part two. <laughs> Be right back for part two. We're gonna take a we're gonna take a quick um what is it like a like a intermission quick wardrobe intermission. change. <laughs> you are knowing our secrets um, on this mental mukbang. But yeah, I was trying to uh, split it up for us. But yeah, no, we'll come back and talk more um, on uh, school anxiety. Of course, there's a lot. Yeah. So we just have to remember what we talked about already, and then in the next one. <laughs> right. So in the next one, which we can literally do in five minutes, like in the next five minutes, um, we, we could without Chris. Sorry, Chris, you're not that. gonna make it. But to wrap up this one, thanks for joining us. Uh, we we talked about a uh, second part, uh, second episode on anxiety, specifically surrounding school, 
and just our thoughts too, because we're also experiencing that as well. So, me and Jenny with as parents and Jed working with parents. So um, thanks for joining us. And we hope that we made mental health easily digestible today. And we'll see you back soon. Yep. See you all next Maybe week. Maybe in five minutes. No, okay. Bye. Next week. Next week. <laughs> next next week. week. We'll see you next week. Bye. All right. <laughs>